You're listening to The Globalist, first broadcast on the 26th of December 2023 on Monocle Radio. The Globalist, in association with UBS. Hello and welcome to a very special Boxing Day edition of The Globalist. I'm Tom Edwards, here in London. On the programme today, we continue our trip down recent memory lane as we look back at the year that's nearly gone. Today, we're taking a look at 2023 across the box office, television and music with Monocle's own Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Faye, what have you got for us today? Hello, Tom. Indeed, I'll try my best to review the year in film, music and TV. And all I can say, it's been a very disruptive year. More from Faye a little later. Plus, Monocle's fashion editor, Natalie Teodosi, is here to recap some of her favourite moments in fashion from the past 12 months. Plus, if you've overindulged this festive period, don't worry. We bring you a Christmas party survival guide. Whoever decided that we needed to survive the holidays, why not lean in? And get in the zone instead. All that ahead on this Globalist Boxing Day special, live from London, with me, Tom Edwards. We begin today's edition of the programme with a look back at the year across cinema, music and television. Who better to walk us through the highlights of 2023 and perhaps to assess where the industry might be headed next, that Monocle's own senior correspondent, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Hello to you, Faye. Happy Boxing Day. Happy Boxing Day indeed, Tom. A pleasure to be here. Um, now tell me, Boxing Day in Brazil, is it a big thing? What, what goes on on uh, Boxing Day? I have to say it's not a big thing in Brazil, but I give, I give you another explanation. The 25th of December, in fact, it feels like our Boxing Day because for us, the big celebration is on the 24th in the evening. That's when you give the gifts. That's the best dinner. So the 25th is a more kind of chilled out day where you spend perhaps with your second family or at home, you know, just, just chilling out and, and watching television. But what better way to kick off <laughs> Boxing Day UK style <laughs> then with me, Tom Edwards, and the Globalist team, Fernando. I agree, I agree. Uh, we're full of seasonal jollity. And I think what's great about this is regular listeners to this programme and others on Monocle Radio will know that we regularly chronicle what's happened in music. The small screen, always a particular passion of yours and mine, Fernando, but also, of course, on the silver screen. And maybe we should start with, with movies. You sort of teased us at the top of the show, talking about this year of, of disruption, what are the big takeaways? What's really going to stay with you, do you think, when you look back at 2023? 2023 has been a very interesting year for all the three types of media we'll talk about, film, music and television. With film, Tong, and I'm here, I'm talking about the big films, okay, the blockbusters. I'm not going too much into the art house field yet. You know, the superhero films dominated the box office in the last 15 years, I would say. It's starting with Iron Man, then you had the Avengers. I mean, big, big numbers. I think this year it's kind of changing. And even the CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, kind of agreed with that. Perhaps there were too many of them. Perhaps the market is saturated. There's an appetite for a little bit more originality. Of course, I'm not exaggerating here. It's been a disruptive year, big change. But when we look at the number one movie when it comes to the box office this year, I mean, it's some something that everybody knows what it is. 
Barbie. It's it's been a great film. The number one film in the box office. That's incredible. 1.4 billion and more because I'm sure it'll be nominated for the Oscars. Come the nominations uh, around January time. It's I've seen it. I think it's it's creative. The critics loved it. People loved it. Do you remember when it was released? Everybody here in the office, people wearing pink. They were talking about it. Tyler was talking about it. I was talking about it. Laura, Carlotta, everybody. It was part of the conversation, you know. Can I tell you what I did, Fernando? Yes. I waited. I specifically didn't watch it for a number of months because sometimes I like to almost get out of that mad echo chamber at the time. And of course, and I know we'll talk about Oppenheimer in a minute, but there was this whole Barbenheimer phenomenon. Oppenheimer I still haven't got around to yet too long. I just watched Barbie. What's your view? What's your take? I thought it was clever. I liked that it was very playful, but it made some, it landed some really telling blows. But what I hadn't quite expected was its smartness as a filmic conceit. The set pieces, the way that it blended sort of facts and fiction and the Mattel land. I liked all the fun they poked at corporate America, at the patriarchy of the whole global West. It was much more knowing and it had it had these layers you know i think my kids probably would have enjoyed it for the slapstickery and the the sort of jocularity but classic there was lots in there i think what was clever about it and maybe this is why it resonated at the box office whatever you went into it wanting from it I think it will have paid off. It was not condescending as well. So I think people mm. uh, sometimes, especially with some superhero films, people forget actually the main public that we want good taste. We want a great script, not just great visual effects as well. And I think Barbie proved precisely that. It was much better than I was expecting. Uh, great job. I mean, what an amazing cast as well. And it was quite funny at times. I mean, Ken. I mean, Ryan Gosling as Ken, that was quite a bit of a surprise uh, he there. Was a, he was a sort of comic... Yeah, very surprising. I didn't realise he had the, the comic chops. Should we have a little listen? I think we've got a clip, Fernando, that you've picked out for us. This is something that your listeners will probably recognise from, from this year's number one film, Barbie. Some things have been happening that might be related. When my world shakes. Cold shower. Ooh. Falling off my roof. Ah! And my heels are on the ground. <gasps> what? Me? have to do you have to go to the real world you can go back to your regular life or you can know the truth about the universe the choice is now yours the first one the high heel you have to want to know okay do it again and and Tom, very briefly as well, if you look at the top three films just very briefly number two is the Super Mario Bros movie and number three Oppenheimer Again, Oppenheimer, an adult film, I mean, very long film. To be number three, that's very surprising. And if you look in the last 15 years, you wouldn't see such a film doing incredible numbers at the box office. The Super Mario one. I mean, not exactly a... It's kind of an original film. Not, not an <laughs> auteur's work. But maybe what is funny, and I think this is instructive what you said, Faye, maybe just more original blockbusters yeah and people still want smash bang wallet but maybe they just want something that's a bit smarter there's an appetite for that let's move on and this disruptive theme i think definitely holds true of the music world as well doesn't it fernando um we all laugh in the office always around 
Spotify wrapped time when we get to look back at 23. It surprises everybody, colleagues, but it also surprises people when you look at your your own, whatever they are, metrics. Sum up the year 23 in music for you. Well, let's talk about Spotify here. You're very right. Spotify wrapped, such a clever uh, marketing tactics as well. But there's some, some bad news as well, Tom, here, because Spotify, they announced they're cutting 17% of the workforce. And I'm not kind of just singling out Spotify here. I'm just saying that the music market is also going through changes. I mean, streaming, of course, it will remain the number one type of consumption for sure. But, you know, I wonder what the industry will do with that because we have other companies like Tidal. I mean, I've just read an article that they might have to change a few things next year because they need to also kind of earn money. I wonder if even if the artists are paid fairly well. If you are Taylor Swift you're fine. You're fine financially. But I think a lot of artists are struggling. Uh, and before, when we had, when CDs or, or vinyls were the main type of consumption, perhaps it was a little bit different. So I think there will be a lot of disruption there. I wonder if the price levels for Spotify and, and Tidal and, and, and Apple as well will perhaps rise a little bit because it might not be very sustainable. So I think the news that Spotify is cutting 70%, you know, it, it, it's a sign of that moment of transition in the, in the world of music. And something that strikes me is that people want to, and they're happy to pay for experiences. And ever since the pandemic, across all sorts of entertainment, media, hospitality, leisure, people are willing, they're happy to pay more and more often for experiences. That's kind of the new premium. And if you look at music, what people wanted to do is they wanted to go to the cinema and see Taylor Swift's concert. They wanted to go to the concerts, whether it was her or Beyonce or others. And they would pay crazy money. And that top level of artists are raking in previously unimaginable sums. Your favourite... Madonna, her, her good grace. I paid a good amount of money. I get it, she, but she's still raking twice. money in, but people want that mm. experience. And I wonder if that streaming relationship, it, well, it, it doesn't really deliver on that relationship. I, I, I agree with you, Tom. And in fact, this year, uh, I had the pleasure to speak with Doug Putman, the CEO of HMV, who just reopened their flagship store in Oxford Street. And one of the interesting things, we all know about the revival of the vinyl, but he was telling me, actually, CD sales are increasing this year. Cassettes as well. I know cassettes quite niche but you know we're talking here about big numbers and I think Taylor Swift once again what a smart businesswoman as well her latest albums as well there's so many different versions of it that the fans of course they want to buy it as well and you mentioned her Euros tour went to the cinema I mean it did better than many of the superhero films that I was just talking about it now well like her or not we'll play a little clip of the Eros tour by Taylor Swift to go on a little adventure together and that adventure is going to span 17 years of music how does that sound welcome to the acoustic set go taylor right I mean, in a way. Fernando, I may be, I'm not the target demography here, but I just, I, I still don't get it. But she's connecting with people, you know, and, and I see even here in the office, the people that love her, love her a lot. I mean, they really go deep into the lyrics. I don't know, she managed to connect with, with people and, and she moves economies. When she went, she went to Brazil, even our biggest daily, Folha de São Paulo, is releasing a daily newsletter of Taylor Swift's visit to the country. Not many pop stars have that. Well, this is it. And apparently she nudges up GDP in countries yeah. where the tour touches down. It's astonishing and all power to her. I'm just saying, I don't get it. 
Is that allowed? I sense it, that, it is allowed. I sense that Fernando's not best pleased with it that. It is allowed. Um, Faye, you and I spend a lot of time talking about favourites. Probably one of the all-time great small screen phenomenons. It's over. Succession. It's finished, Fernando. That's heartbreaker for 23, but what a way to go. It's a heartbreaking, and I think we should play a clip because we're feeling very emotional on our tongue. Let's have a listen. Why does everyone ask how I'm feeling? I got done a huge deal. I got the election. I got ATM. I got plenty on my plate. He's on the floor, Tom. Explain me what he's doing. He's moseying, terrifyingly moseying. It's like if Santa Claus was a hitman. We were cut out behind our backs. But there's a shape for things for us. We partnered up with Sandy and Stewie, with Pierce. Death wrestling ogres. Excited to get into this knife fight? Let's blow it up. It's still funny. It's funny. The soundtrack as well. Every every little I detail. I need to listen to the music, I think. I've missed it. But Tom, you know the reason why I chose Succession? Of course, besides Bring Brilliant and one of the best series in recent years, for sure. I mean, some critics, a lot of critics are agreeing with that, that succession kind of marks the end of this peak TV era that we lived. Perhaps, you know, here I am guessing, but perhaps since The Sopranos started on on HBO, you, you, you know what I mean, all those kind of celebrated, very edgy TV series. And the reason for that, Tom, there's so much competition between the streamers now. Things are becoming tougher. They don't want to spend so much more money. Do you remember when Netflix, even a few years ago, they were spending with everything. They were going all over the place. It's not the case anymore. So they are going to be very more cautious. And some people are saying that TV next year is a, as a trend. I'm sure there will be great TV series to watch. But you kind of go back to kind of very commercial, kind of advert-driven uh, as well. So we might see less edge uh, on television. And succession marks the end of that. I mean, we're just speculating here. But this is very interesting to see. And don't you agree with me, Tom, that there's so many streamers. We, I'm confused. And that's my job, to kind of watch television, talk on the radio about it. But it is confusing, really. Well, I think that idea of being almost... An inertia that's caused by too much choice. I mean, people have talked about that for a long time since the advent, really, of streaming. But, I, you know, I have done that. We, we've now, we, we switch off some of our subs periodically and just be like, I think I've seen everything on, I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, I've seen everything on Disney for this month or whatever <laughs> it might be. Um, but the other thing that's a problem is the, the absolute collapse in conventional linear broadcasting. I mean, the numbers are astonishingly low. So... I think you're right, but also the, this whole kind of appointment to view thing is difficult. I know there are streamers who drop things weekly, uh, was in the midst of the of slow horses, which I love, which you, you wait for Wednesdays, which is like the olden days. But it's increasingly difficult to find things where you're going to have that classic sort of water cooler moment, isn't it? And that I think is a shame, but maybe it means people have to raise their game. Exactly. And one of the few exceptions remains sport, right? And here it is to 2024. The Olympics are coming. I think the Euros as well. I think sports is one of the few kind of uh, type of television that people st- is still kind of a water cooler social, moment. A social event. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, Fernando, it's been a delight all through 2023 talking films, TV and music. It's not always been a delight listening <laughs> to music with you because you sometimes put my ears through it. But uh, an excellent rap. And have a very good rest of the holiday season. Fernando, thanks for being on The Globalist. You too. Obrigado. UBS has over 900 investment analysts from over 100 different countries. 
over 900 of the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in the world of finance today. To find out how we could help you, contact us at UBS.com. Well, from entertainment, let's turn our attentions to the worlds of fashion, luxury and more. This was a year marked by the arrival of new creative directors at major powerhouses, plenty of long-awaited comebacks and a lot more. Besides, to go through all of that with us, I'm joined here in the studio by Monocle's own fashion editor, Natalie Tidjasi. Hello, Natalie. Hello. Um, a happy Boxing Day to you. Happy Boxing Day. Uh, what does Boxing Day mean? I asked Fernando this earlier. Apparently in Brazil, not a great deal. Boxing Day... It's just it's people just resting. Exactly, I think it, it is quite similar in Cyprus. We just we've had so much to eat uh, <laughs> the day before that we just lounge around and eat the leftovers from Christmas. Thank there isn't on, any specific tradition. Days days. <laughs> um, well, look, perfect to interrupt the that grazing uh, to ask you just for a few kind of highlights noteworthy comings and goings this year, of which there have been many. One of the things that really was a real kind of teacup dropper, wasn't it? Pharrell, creative director of Louis Vuitton. I mean, I don't know, you know these things. Was that one you saw coming? I really didn't, to be honest. And the predictions were all around a few young independent designers based here in London. So when the announcement was made, it did surprise everyone. And there was a lot of criticism, both when they announced him as creative director of menswear and then after the show, because fashion industry... I think expected a more traditionally trained designer. But I thought it was a really great choice. Louis Vuitton is a $20 billion company. And I think for, for that kind of scale and, and the responsibility that the role entails is, is something different. It's someone that needs to know how to organize events as well, needs to understand hospitality and music and culture and also be able to deal with the spotlight. And when you put someone who's very young and untrained you're setting them up for failure while someone like Pharrell can kind of take on the the pressures of the role and he's he's really creative he's run fashion brands before he's been involved in hospitality and it's no secret Louis Vuitton wants to open its own hotels in the near future so I think it's a great appointment and looking into the new year when he settles into the role it will be really exciting to see what he has coming up. Yeah he definitely seems to wear all the attention very lightly as you would imagine from someone who is so high profile and actually the, the kind of tone seemed to change, didn't it, with his kind of early public appearances and some of the first things that he had a very obvious hand in. People seem to like it. And maybe that's that's all that matters, really, right? I think so. I think people are going to be buying. He's a, like He did very smart accessory designs. And anyone who attended his uh, debut show on the Pont Neuf, I think, was mesmerized. And it, it was really magical. Everything from the music, but also to what he did on, on the runway, the way he came out with all his design team, a lot of positive uh, emotions attached to it as well. One to watch. A long-awaited return, Phoebe Philo, of course, this year. The view on that for me, Natalie? I was one of those philophiles, they call them, who are very <laughs> excited and, and waiting for her to to make her return finally. It's been almost a decade since she left her her job at Celine. And I think she gave her customers exactly what they wanted. I mean, she started this idea of modernism and minimalism, and she did just that. The only thing I that I was missing was that there was no element of surprise or as much evolution from what she did 10 years ago. 
But it's still early days. And I think as, uh, again, the brand post-launch finds its feet, we, we, we will see her do more exciting things. And I hope that she also speaks to the public. Uh, she's very quiet. She hasn't said anything about uh, coming back into fashion. I hope we will be hearing a little bit more from her in the new year. I'm sure she'll be in touch shortly, Natalie. I hope she's listening to this. Um, what about the creative director appointment at Gucci? Didn't win as many column inches, perhaps for obvious reasons, as Pharrell, but an interesting one. It was another interesting one, another divisive one, because again, Gucci's um, the biggest house within Kering's portfolio, the rival of LVMH. And they've done such a U-turn from being a very maximalist brand. The, the former creative director was a real magpie to going back to tradition. Things are now a little bit more minimal and tailored. And I think the people looking for big, flashy statements on the runway didn't relate to that as much. But I think that Sabato Tesarno, the new creative director, is a really interesting designer. He spent years working at Valentino before, so he knows his craft. And I don't think there's something wrong with going back to the heritage of the brand. It's a it's a formula that has more chances at at longer term success, and it's only his first collection, so it will evolve and it will get more exciting as he finds his feet. I'm excited about. 2024 and what it holds in store because of all of these different appointments. And it wasn't just about people who we welcome back. We said farewell, of course, to some. And in in Britain, I mean, a a fashion revolutionary, Mary Quant, a grand old age, I think in her her almost mid-90s, we bid farewell. And something that we remarked upon, of course, at the time, but an amazing, an amazing impact. And again, you know, someone who changed the landscape, I guess, of fashion, certainly in this country, very profoundly. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, she had an incredible impact in in this country. I think we owe the miniskirt to her. And she was an amazing businesswoman ahead of of her time, the first one to experiment with a licensing model, to take her brand global. So I think she will always be someone that anyone with a a remote interest in fashion will will be looking back to for years to come. Let me just ask you about a couple of the stories that we covered in, well, across across the Monocle uh, empire, but in particular print stories, because it's always great fun to think about things we've shot and where you've been to report. Fendi's new factory is one that, that, that jumps out. I mean, some of these must be just brilliant stories to go and report basically yeah. that was a real highlight because i got to go and see the factory and they hosted um, their menswear show there last summer i spoke to sylvia fendi just before the show was happening and she was very calm everything was uh, really well organized and it was it was just really heartwarming to see her and and also the investment that they're making in opening this factory making sure that the workers work in amazing conditions and the fact that she gave them so much credit for the creativity and the craft that goes into what Fendi does. And also right at the end of the show, she took her bow with all her team. The show was the models walked around the artisans' desks. So it, it, you really got to see how things are made and uh, that there's a real team spirit behind the scenes at the house and and a human element which sometimes you lose these days so it it was great story and yeah we captured the runway and all of it on the in the pages of the magazine people need to subscribe to the magazine so that they always get to read uh, your insights tours that you go on uh, interviews indeed that you've done and i know you did an interview with the new ceo of browns which is interesting just to 
read the insights, but also, again, you know, as well as that craft and provenance and those stories you mentioned, at Monaco, we're super interested in retail, the state of the market. Plenty to learn, one imagines, from that exchange. I think so. I think it was really interesting to see um, Elizabeth von der Goltz, who went from working for the big American department stores to Netta Porten and now to Browns, and talking about retail and the power of kind of the neighborhood store, the boutique, curation, and everything that she wants to do with Browns. And at this time, it's quite interesting because its owner, Farfetch, is actually exploring a sale of, of the of the retailer and uh, looking to delist from uh, from the stock market given that online retail unlike these physical boutiques is having quite a bit of trouble with excess inventory and and the companies are loss making so I'll be really interested to see what actually happens who ends up owning browns but I think no matter what the it has such a history and, and such a loyal following that it will always be a, a London landmark and, and people will go and visit Another amazing institution. Natalie, great to have your insights. Um, are Are you excited about 2024 then in fashion, in a word? I am really excited. Good. Yeah, I think a lot of all of these new creative directors are bringing new energy. There's a lot of young talent that's kind of coming up. And I love the fact that people are now investing in, in physical retail and, and going back into shops and a lot of innovation there as well. So we'll definitely be busy covering all of it on here and uh, the pages of the magazine. Jolly good. Well, onward and upward. And we look forward to updates throughout the year from you. That's Monocle's fashion editor, Natalie Diodosi. You're listening to The Globalist this Boxing Day here on Monocle Radio. UBS is a global financial services firm with over 150 years of heritage. Built on the unique dedication of our people, we bring fresh thinking and perspective to our work. We know that it takes a marriage of intelligence and heart to create lasting value for our clients. It's about having the right ideas, of course, but also about having one of the most accomplished systems, and an unrivaled network of global experts. That's why at UBS, we pride ourselves on thinking smarter to make a real difference. Tune in to The Bulletin with UBS every week for the latest insights and opinions from UBS all around the world. Finally, on today's special edition of the programme, this is a season where we traditionally overindulge somewhat. And after an array of celebrations, it can truly feel like the survival of the fittest. Well, the writer and poet, Heidi Twito, brings you this essay to help you sail through the overindulgent festive period with a smile. Survival of the fittest. Your guide to sailing through the festive celebrations with a smile. I recently worked out that if my family celebrated every holiday from every tradition in our mashed-up heritage, we would probably be gathering every other week. As such, over the years, I have learned a thing or two about the art of enjoying and enduring quasi-compulsory family get-togethers. If you want to remain engaged, here's my unofficial guide to thriving throughout the holiday season. Find your allies. Remember, there's an art to navigating any party. In any group, there will always be one person who makes you feel safe 
and ready to take on the rest. If there isn't, well, let's flip the script. Find the person you know the least and get to know them. Maybe bond over a mission your host has assigned you both. Why not get a party trick ready to break the ice? Learn how to fold towels into swans or something. Who knows, they might become the very person that will make you feel safe next year. Cook something different. Break free of what we're supposed to enjoy at, quote, this time of year, unquote. How about offering the help, the person hosting, and bring one of your favorite dishes along? Now, if you are the person hosting, well, the world is your oyster. Come to think of it, Parisians, is it time to think about moving beyond Christmas Day mollusks? Maybe you can keep the oysters. But please, let's forget about foie gras. Create new traditions that make no sense. Let me let you in, possibly the best life hack ever invented. We call it Cousins Christmas. We gather on December 24th when most of our friends are with their families. We make some potato salads and other delicious bites before ending the night dancing to Darude's sandstorm. <laughs> Have plausible excuses ready. Sometimes it might be much too much. It's true. There is no way around it. You need to opt out. So make up a trip you supposedly booked in advance and can get a refund for. Secretly stay at home or go to the dinner you truly wanted to attend. This is, of course, at your own risk, so maybe forge some proof. Get a postcard from the place you said you were visiting. Write a nice little wish you were here. Mail it in an envelope to someone living in said place and ask them to stem the postcard and send it on for you. Count your blessings. Whoever decided that we needed to survive the holidays, why not lean in and get in the zone instead? Imagine if you were deprived of all this. It would be such a sadness. It's not so long that this was the case for a lot of us. In 2020, I remember eating a certain dish alone. I can tell you it didn't taste as good as having it with family members, even if my dad had made it for me and dropped it at my doorstep. Another time, while away from work, my uncle sent pictures of a specific flower to the family chat, making me desperate to get home, arranging the table with everyone. Invite close friends who might not be celebrating. A note of caution. This advice applies only if your family's very specific dysfunctionality won't scar visitors for life. Imagine living in a country where everything shuts down and all your friends are busy celebrating with, so they say, delicious food. You might appreciate being invited. So if you hear someone isn't doing anything for whatever reason, get them involved. They might not feel like coming, but can you really blame them? That was the writer and poet Heidi Tweeto with a survival guide to festive celebrations. To read her piece and others like it, get your copy of the winter edition of Confect magazine today. And that's all for this special Boxing Day edition of The Globalist. Thanks to our producer, Carlotta Rabello, and our studio manager, Mariella Bevan. There's more music on the way a bit later, and a special edition of The Briefing with me, Tom Edwards, is coming to you at midday London time a little bit later. That's bringing you highlights from this year's season of The Big Interview. I'm Tom Edwards. 
Thanks for tuning in.